Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Um, my guest today is a very interesting person, uh, Paul Sloan. is an author, a speaker, and an innovator. We're going to talk about 12 great ways to innovate and think like an innovator. His website is destinationinnovation.com, and there's a hyphen between them, so destination-innovation.com. And Paul helps uh, busy executives facing you know, pretty much an impossible challenge to, uh, to innovate their way to improving their organizations. He's been doing it for about uh, 15 years, and I wanted to talk to him because I'm always interested in people that you know have heuristics for creativity and innovation and problem solving. So, Paul, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah, tell me about your history. How did you glom on to innovation and creativity? What, what got you curious about it? It's an interesting story, Richard. So I, I um, have a degree in engineering from Cambridge University. I worked for IBM in sales and marketing and manufacturing. I became a, a marketing director, uh, CEO, vice president international for a U.S. software company, MathSoft. We did mathematical software. And then about, uh, and I became CEO of a software company. All that went a bit pear-shaped after 9-11. So I started my own business. But along the way, I'd been interested in lateral thinking puzzles. And I'd written a book called Lateral Thinking Puzzlers, which first appeared in 1990 or 1991. And it's still in print. And it's sold, you know, it's been an amazing success, sold over half a million copies and been translated into many languages. Now, I've written a lot of follow-up books. And this was just for fun. And these are all strange situations where you ask yes or no questions. And, and they're great with kids on a long car journey and so on. But I became interested in how you could use the same methods for solving the problems in business to solve business problems. And so I got very interested in how you'd use lateral thinking in business. Um, and the reason you use lateral thinking in business is to drive innovation, to come up with new ideas, new solutions better ways to solve problems. So that's how I got into it. And then I wrote 
my first serious business book, The Leader's Guide to Lateral Thinking Skills. And that's now in its third edition. And I've written a number of other uh, serious books, The Innovative Leader, A Guide to Open Innovation and Crowdsourcing, Think Like an Innovator, and How to Be a Brilliant Thinker. Well, what is lateral thinking? Lateral thinking is a phrase coined by Edward de Bono in counterpoint to conventional thinking, where we approach a problem in a logical fashion. And he called it vertical thinking. You build block on block on block, um, and, and that's fine. But lateral means coming at the problem from the side. It means uh, finding a new and fresh and different approach to the problem. Okay. Would you like me to give you an example? Yes. (laughs) You know, just about to ask. Well, there's there's lots of examples, but you know, from an orthogonal perspective, what's what's lateral thinking? So, so until the 1920s, all shops were like Victorian shops. You'd go in, you'd ask the assistant for some butter and some ham and some eggs, and the the assistant would go away and get the ham and the butter and the eggs and bring them back and serve you and then charge you, and then they'd serve the next customer. Um, and that's the way all shops were. Uh, and you just waited until you were served. And a man called Michael Cullen said, what would happen if we turned the shop around? And instead of the assistant serving the customer, the customer helped themselves to all the goods they needed and then paid when they left. And I'll bet the people, the experts of the day said that's a terrible idea. You know, people get confused. You have to put prices on things. Uh, they'll be wandering around the back of the store. And he said, I'm going to do it anyway. He created the world's first supermarket the King Cullen store in New Jersey. And, you know, it's a very simple idea. Turn the shop around, let the customer serve themselves. And yet it's transformed not just the way we shop, but the whole layouts of our our cities. We have out-of-town shopping malls designed for uh, self-service. And that's an example of lateral thinking. You can't evolve the the conventional things into, into lateral things. You have to approach them entirely differently. So, you know, you can modify an aeroplane and you can develop it you can make it better and better but you can never modify an aeroplane into a helicopter it's an entirely different concept and you can't modify an aeroplane into a rocket ship it's a different concept so sometimes you have to just start again and come at the problem from an entirely different direction come up with a radically different solution and that's lateral thinking you mentioned edward de bono i think he's the author of the six thinking hats yes Yeah, that's a really good book. I really like that one. Yeah, I teach Six Thinking Hats. I think it's it's highly effective, very, very clever. And he had some great, great ideas. Um, he's still going. He's, he's getting on a bit now. Um, and I've seen him and I've met him. Um, and his early books are very, very, very good, though they are derivative from other people's works. And he doesn't always give them credit. But um, but some of his early works are really good. And Six Thinking Hats and Lateral Thinking are two of his best works. So what do you, I, I guess I call these like innovation heuristics, but what do you call these different methods of thinking? Like I've, I've heard of Triz. Triz is, the, the is a method, yes. So one of my most popular blog posts is 21 Great Ways to Innovate. I've also written um, a uh, an online course, 12 Great Ways to Innovate. And I look at these different uh, methods. These uh, Heuristics uh, is a good way, but most people don't know what heuristics are. So I just simply say great ways to innovate. Um, or ways to think differently. So have you, I mean, throughout your career, have you tried to catalog like every single one out there? Has it ever been a fascination for you and, you know, have them all at hand? In that big no, list? I simply, I've, I've written a lot of blogs, maybe, you know, 500 blogs or so on different methods and examples and uh, stories. Uh, and I draw on those in my workshops and my talks. And I just choose whatever I think is most appropriate at the time. So do you feel like you're a um, kind of a lone voice in the wilderness here? Like when you've worked in organizations, 
were other people creative like you or were they resisting creativity or what's the dynamic of you working with others what's well, it been like? there's no resistance in the sense that everyone accepts that they need to be more open-minded they need to be receptive to ideas they quite like the methods they go through in the workshop they adopt the methods they can work with them and if i facilitate them they'll get them thinking about new ways to do things new ideas radical approaches to business issues but the problem is when they get back in the office the pressures for business as usual are, are overwhelming and the corporate culture is one of do it the way we've always done it get it done get it done this week meet this quarter's numbers there's very little incentive for people to experiment to try new things to be radical to take risks to experiment um, and generally in many organizations there's more downside than upside in trying something new and radical and lateral so do companies call you in and say hey, hey paul why don't you we want you to teach our top managers this method or how do you yes. typically interact with companies Yes, as I said, very, well, very often they'll call me and they say, Paul, we want you to teach our promising young executives these methods. And I'll, I'll teach them and they, they say, these are great, but we're not allowed to use them inside the company. Um, and that was, it, it, there's an issue of what I call the innovation disconnect. And the way this manifests itself is the people at the top, the C-suite executives, they all want more innovation. They want people to be more entrepreneurial, to be more adventurous, to try new things. And the people at the bottom, the really bright people, I want to try lots of new things. They want to experiment. They want to find better ways to meet customers' needs. But it just doesn't happen. Uh, and the reason is that the people in the middle have no incentive. It's not in their objectives. If you're a departmental manager, your objectives are to deliver this quarter's results, not to try crazy new ideas and not to release people to spend time on experimentation. So there's, there's a disconnect in that the people at the top want it and the people at the bottom want it and it just doesn't happen. It gets stuck somewhere in the middle and the corporate culture tends to be risk averse. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. It tends to be business as usual. So what's been your creative solution to this? What do you do? Well, what you have to do is you have to get the top team on board and they have to recognize it. And then you have to feed it all the way down through the organization. So rather than say innovation is the job of the research and development department or the innovation unit, it should become everyone's job and it should be in everyone's objectives. I recommend that you give everyone two jobs. You say, do your current job really well, but find an entirely new way to do it. And in your appraisal, you're going to be asked not only how well you've done your job, but what new ideas and initiatives you have championed in the company this year. And to be promoted, you have to be someone who's a risk taker and prepared to try new things. And that has to be, that message has to be reinforced 
Um, because you can start off saying those sorts of things, but as soon as you punish someone for trying something new, the message goes out to everyone, well, it was just management speak. They didn't really mean it. Um, and the, what the leader has to do is praise somebody for trying something that failed. John here tried this initiative. It didn't work, but we learned some great lessons, and that's exactly what we want. And by the way, when I was coming up, I learned some great lessons through my failures, through the things I tried that didn't work. And I want you to try more things, and you won't be blamed if you try something for the benefit of the company, for the benefit of the customer, and it doesn't work, provided you share the learnings. So, I know, what are some of the most and fascinating or interesting puzzles or situations you worked on? Well, I've worked on a lot. I did a big workshop with a pharmaceutical company in Sweden, Novartis, and we came up with uh, terrific new ways to run clinical trials that saved them millions of euros. I worked with a big car maintenance company, and, and they found new ways to, to get people to, to visit their, their uh, service centers by giving away uh, free atlases. They had plenty of them. They had La Atlas Amnesty. They said, bring in your old atlas, which is now out of date, and we'll give you a new one and give us your details about when your car needs its next service. So we, we, we found there's all sorts of ways that, that you can find, and, and it's not that difficult. What you need is the willingness of leadership to try new things. And, and that is something that takes leadership. It takes courage. Okay, so what is the... Um... Is the, is the brainstorming session the core of how this gets done? Or you know, what are the mechanics of, okay, company A hires you, they say, come on in, what do you do in general? Well, it depends how much time I've got, how much budget they've got, how many people they want to put through it. But ideally, I would like uh, two to three days with uh, some of their brightest people. And, and with Novartis, we had about 100 people. We have some defined challenges. How can we? How can we break into new markets? How can we significantly increase the average order size? How can we uh, surprise and delight customers? Oh, these are sorts of questions, big questions. And then what we do is we start with some problem analysis. We start by analyzing what's uh, stopping innovation, what's stopping things happening inside the organization, what's stopping us from achieving these objectives. So we do a bit of problem analysis first. Then I'll use some brainstorm techniques. I've got a lot of techniques that I use. And we generate a lot of, of, of ideas, hundreds and hundreds of ideas. We whittle those down into a short list of maybe a dozen, 15 really promising ideas. People work those up and present them on flip charts and put them around the wall. So each, each good idea has a flip chart, which explains the benefits, the risks, the next steps and what they need. And then we have a beauty contest where people go around and, and uh, have to choose the, the best ones from that long list. And we might end up with uh, four, five, six really good ideas, which we work up. And then what we did with Novartis is we got the senior management to come back then. And then people pitched their ideas and said, this is our great idea. And this is how it would work. This is what we need. Uh, and this is the funding we need. We need 50,000 euros to build this prototype, to do this, to try this. And the senior, the, 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 the leaders said, yes, you can have funding for that. No, we can't do that. It doesn't fit with our strategic objectives. This one we need more information on. Yes, you can do that. That's a real no-brainer. We should definitely go ahead. So it's really good if you can close the loop and get action, if you can turn the best ideas. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Into items that go on the to-do list at the end of the process. Uh, and that's what I would call an innovation camp. I've run that for a number of organizations. Really intensive really focused on the key business issues, but with really worked up ideas, not just harebrained schemes, but things that have been thought through in terms of 
all the requirements, the dependencies, what IT support we'd need, what the next steps are, what funding we would need to build a minimum viable product, and so on. Oh, wow. So you take organizations pretty far along. You don't just uh, do brainstorming and then say bye. That's, well, I, that's, often they'll say just do the brainstorm. And then the, the trouble with that is we come up with great ideas and many of them don't get actioned. I prefer it if they say, yeah, let's go all the way through to approval and then start on the process. Yes. I don't know. So what have you noticed about all these sessions that you've done? Uh, how have you refined your method? Like what have been some of the sticking points you know, for someone listening? If they want to innovate on their own with their own internal teams or if they want your help or if they're just if they're just really curious about this, what are some things they need to watch out for? You mentioned, again, middle management, upper management, squashing the whole thing, being threatened. What else is important? Uh, what's important is follow through. So many companies start off uh, you, you know, with, with all sorts of grand schemes for innovation and they have promotions and posters and um, fancy idea management software and so on. What I recommend to anyone who wants to start with innovation in the organization is to ask the question, what's impeding innovation in the organization today? What's stopping us from implementing more good ideas more quickly? And if you ask a lot of the, the good, bright people in the organization, further down the organization, you know, what happens to good ideas here? You'll be surprised at what they say. They say, well, it's very hard to get things approved. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of effort. It's not worth the, the bother. Very few things get approved unless they come from the senior management in the first place. And they'll give you all of these things that are impediments. And my recommendation is that you spend some time doing an innovation audit to find what's impeding innovation today. And you start by removing the barriers. What's stopping innovation? And very often it's there's not enough time. There's not enough budget. There's long-winded approval processes. There's a risk-averse culture. Things like that come up time and time again. And so as a leader, you need to tackle those things. Remove the barriers first. Then you can put in place all of the nice things, the brainstorm meetings, the innovation incubators, the idea management software, all of the other things, which are, are fine. But then you have to follow through and you have to resource them. There's no good launching an idea management scheme if you're not prepared to back it up with evaluators and with resources, time, money, and people. Because people lose faith. If they put in lots of suggestions and they never hear anything or nothing gets approved, they say, well, it was just management bullshit. You know, it didn't really mean anything. So you have to follow through. People have to see results. And they don't need big rewards. That what they need is recognition. They need to know that they're being listened to and that their ideas are being taken seriously and being actioned if they're good. And then it can take off. And then you, you really start to see the results and you turn a sluggish into organization into an agile entrepreneurial organization. Are there, so depending on the industry and the type of problem, which of these thinking methods apply, which of them don't? I mean, are there, are there, are there ones that are very arcane? Are there only for, let's say, manufacturing engineering and others for service industries? Yeah. So I, um, I teach a class on, brainstorming techniques. I've got an online course called Advanced Brainstorming Techniques, and we look at some of these. And, and a, a tool like Scamper is very, very good for product innovations. Uh, it works really well. I've never seen it fail. And, and it generates great ideas for exit for products. And a tool like Transformers works very well for service innovations uh, and process and method innovations. So there's, there's different tools, and, and depending on what the challenge I'm given, I will choose a method which I think works really well. Similes works really well for 
human resources type problems and, and cultural problems. So um, I choose a method which I think will work well and then we'll try it. And, and sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it doesn't work quite so well. I'll try a different method. Uh, but generally, because I'm an external facilitator, I can get people doing crazy things and thinking more radically than their existing manager can. It's very difficult for the manager to step outside his or her normal role of you know getting things done the, the, the corporate way. So we can generate those ideas using the different methods, select the best methods, and then off we go. So any tips for people listening, if they want to try to do their own brainstorming session, can they do it alone? Do they need at least one other person? Like what are some of the dynamics of a session that make it work well or not? Oh, well, I, yeah, I, I teach a whole class on how to run a brainstorm. But basically, I think you, the ideal size for a brainstorm group is about uh, five to seven people, that sort of size. Uh, if you had, say, a dozen or 15 people, you divide into two groups or maybe three groups. Um, and then it's very important to have a clear articulation of what you want. So we're meeting. We want to meet next Thursday morning at 830 to find ways to recruit the best engineers. We want to meet to find ways to significantly reduce costs. We want ways to significantly increase customer satisfaction. So you have a big goal. You're not too restrictive, uh, uh, prescriptive about what the goal is. Uh, you, you don't put too many parameters and limits on it. You say, we're looking for ideas in this area. And then the, the, the important thing is to divide the session into two phases. And the two phases are quite different. And the first phase is idea generation in which people use divergent thinking. And divergent thinking means anyone can get off, head off in any direction and say anything. And there's no criticism. So people then say, you know, why don't we uh, fly everyone to Mars? You just build on that. You say, well, instead of Mars, why don't we fly them to Albuquerque or whatever? So you take any idea and, and you take it places and, and you, you do crazy things. Um, and the first part is idea generation and divergent thinking. And then once you've got a lot of ideas, and by that I mean 100 ideas or more, the facilitator says, great, stop. Now we're going to go into the second phase of the meeting, which is idea selection or idea evaluation, and we're going to use convergent thinking. And now we do have to be a little bit critical. We do have to select which are the most promising ideas. And what I recommend there is that you use some criteria to sort the ideas. Uh, and there are various criteria that I use. Novel, attractive, feasible is a good one. We're looking for ideas which are new, which are appealing, and which are feasible. Feasible does not mean easy, but it means it can be done. And you tick, or uh, better, simpler, cheaper. There's, there's various criteria you can use, and, I, and, and I've got ones that work in different ways. And then you narrow down the 100 ideas to very quickly down to about 12, 15 promising ideas based on that very, very quick pass. And then you kick those around, you discuss those in a constructive way. I mean, you are critical. How would this work? Surely that's going to run into a problem with legal, isn't it? And, and people will kick it around and say, well, yeah, we could figure out a way to do that. And then and then you might end up with, of those 12, 15 ideas, you might end up with two or three that you're going to implement. So the the, the, the purpose of the meeting is to leave the meeting with two or three, or even one really good idea you're going to implement. Ideally, two or three that you're going to try, uh, and those go on the to-do list. And then you say, Jane, I want you to follow up with this idea about the hot air balloon trip where we throw out the, the customers who haven't paid or whatever it is. And, and Jim, I want you to follow up with this idea about the, 
the purple kangaroo in reception. I want you to check, you know, what vegetable dyes we can use and what the local zoo would charge us to rent a kangaroo. Or whatever the ideas that you've chosen are, you get action people to follow up on. And then that's how you turn ideas into innovations. What, um, what do you have to do with your own self? I mean, are you able to just be creative on your own or do you have your own team that you need to pull in or people that you call to help you innovate? Um, well, there's a couple of approaches. Uh, people, everyone can be more creative than, than they think. Everyone started out as creative. Uh, kids are terrifically creative. You know, they give them a cardboard box and they'll turn it into a fort and a boat and, uh, you know, a, a caravan and all sorts of things. But uh, as we go older, we, we become more and more conformist and more and more closed in our minds. But everyone can be creative. and But some people are more creative than others, just as some people are more musical than others. Um, but if you're a manager, you don't have to come up with all the great ideas. A lot of managers think it's their job to come up with all the best ideas. But uh, you've got, if you've got bright people working for you, and most managers do, then you've got to release them, empower them, challenge them, give them the opportunity to come up with great ideas and listen to them, be open-minded to their approaches. So uh, you don't have to be the most creative guy to have a really creative organization. You, you, you just need to hire good people and then empower them to try things. Um, Woody Allen said about his films, you know, he said, what I do is I hire great people and I exploit them. I let them come up with the solutions. And, and it's true. That's funny. Do you have people that, uh, I'll give you an example. So I don't know if it's just me or I'm just being a baby or anything, but it's hard for me to sit there and say, all right, think, think, figure this out. But if I talk to somebody, then uh, that's my way of thinking through problems, you know, like back and forth banter. Are there different learning styles that you or teams have to accommodate in order to make this more effective than not? Yeah. So um, some people could come up with lots of great ideas on their own, and there are techniques to do that. But most people find it's better to spark off each other. And a well-facilitated brainstorm will enable that. So what you do as the facilitator is you encourage everyone to contribute ideas. The people who are very quiet, you have to bring them on and, and get them to suggest things. And the people who are very noisy and dominant and like to hear their own voices, you have to, you have to uh, control them and, and not let them dominate the conversation. So that the, the art of facilitation is to get everyone contributing and everyone listening and everyone open-minded. And you have to shut down the criticism in the early part of the, st the process. And you have to allow people uh, to generate lots of ideas and and some laughter and and some icebreakers can help there. Um, one technique is to get everyone at the beginning of the meeting to tell a big lie. The bigger the lie, the better. So they have to say something about themselves or, or about the company, which is an outrageous lie. And there's some evidence that psychologically, as soon as you tell a big lie, you've broken the rules, you've broken the boundaries, you've you've released yourself from the conventions which restrict your thinking. And so that's one of the techniques I use to get everyone to tell outrageous lies. And on their tables, they're all laughing and joking. And then you go into the brainstorm and people are more relaxed, more open minded. What is the, uh, the future of your work, do you think? Are there any changes coming or is this more of a matter of the more people in companies' hands you can get it into, the better? Well, that's true. I've, I've done a lot more over Zoom. I mean, over the last year with COVID, my, uh, my on-site workshops have completely stopped. So I've done a lot over Zoom, which is a challenge in itself, uh, getting people fully engaged. It's much easier to get them engaged in the room when you're looking at them in the eye than, than over Zoom, where they might be distracted and go and 
read their emails or something else. So that sometimes can be a challenge, but you, you, it can still work over Zoom uh, or, or Teams and um, you can get that going. I'm looking forward to getting back in front of groups of uh, bright young executives and challenging them, stimulating them to think about new things. Uh, just a couple more questions. Has there been a problem that you just you threw everything at it, you just couldn't solve, you couldn't make any traction? Like, Have you ever, for I guess for fun, tried to solve like some of the world's toughest problems to see if you can make inroads? I've had business problems that, that proved intractable. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be the case. And very often they're to do with people and, and people who are you know difficult to, to change. I, I guess all the main problems in business come down to people. And um, problems in politics, problems in... I'm seeing in the world that, that we're becoming more polarised, that, that uh, people are less open-minded than they were 10, 15 years ago. I think the Democrats and the Republicans are more at odds than they were 20 years ago. You know, the Israelis and the Palestinians are more at odds than they were. So it, it, it's distressing to see that people aren't collaborating. They're not open-minded to the other person's point of view. They are entrenched, more and more entrenched in their own partisan viewpoints, uh, both uh, politically and in business. And, and that's something we need to fight against. We need to encourage people to be open-minded. I gave a TEDx talk uh, if you go on YouTube and you search for Paul Sloan TEDx, it's called Are You Open-Minded? And it's all about the issue of being more open-minded and the tendency for us all to be a little bit too closed-minded. What constitutes open-mindedness versus closed-mindedness? I know it's, again, it's probably obvious, but is there anything that you've picked up, maybe it's subtle, where someone says something and you're like, oh, we're going to have a problem here, or you have to address it, you have to tell them, think about it this way, and then make it, things will work better. Well, an open-minded person is always ready to listen to somebody else's point of view and to acknowledge that there's some merit in their point of view um, and not just to oppose it from a purely antagonistic uh, viewpoint. And they're, they're, the great, really innovative, open-minded people are endlessly curious. So they're always looking for new ways to do things. And the, the innovative leader, when you go into them with a problem, and you say, we've got this problem. They don't give you a solution immediately. The command and control leader, you go in with a problem, they'll say, do it this way. Here's the way to solve your problem. The innovative leader, you go in with a problem and they say, why are we doing this? What's the purpose? What are you trying to achieve here? What have you thought about? And they throw, ask a lot of questions and they challenge you. And they're thinking about this, bouncing it around in their head, whilst they expect you to think about it and bounce it around in your head. There isn't one definitive answer to any given business problem. There are many, many possible answers. And the innovative leader is prepared to consider lots of them before trying one. Have you ever gotten yourself into, you know, high levels of government where they've called you in, whether they implement it or not? But, you know, again, have you ever gotten yourself into like the top, top level of some boardroom and been able to try to advise those people? I've worked with the board. The, the higher you go, the harder it is to change people's minds. Generally, they, they think they know. Um, I've worked with a lot of government departments, but not with the government ministers, unfortunately. And the big problem is that the, the people at the very top, you know, they think they know that they think they think they're there to make decisions and they think they've got very good judgment. And there's, there's an old saying that the generals always fight the new war the way they fought the previous war that they learned in. And, and very often things have changed and, and you need a fresh approach. And that's why it's really good to mix older people and younger people experienced people and fresh into the company, people from different departments, 
uh, one or two outsiders in a brainstorm. So uh, the, the key thing in a brainstorm group is to have diversity, diversity of idea, diversity of approach, diversity of cultural background. Uh, and that really pays off. But very often you find the board of a company uh, are people of very similar backgrounds, very similar educational attitude, very intelligent people, but with a similar viewpoint, a similar view of the world. And that is inimical to innovation and creativity. Last question for kids. You know, anyone listening that has kids and wants to engage them in this process, you know, they tend to be more creative than adults. But any, um, I don't know, what's, what's the best way to shape an interaction with, you know, a teenager or a kid to help them help you innovate? Well, I, kids, you know, I've got six grandchildren. And uh, when they're young, they, they're very, very innovative. They love riddles. They love jokes. They love drawing. They love creating things. And then as they get older, the school teaches them there's a way to answer things and there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And when they become teenagers, they become quite moralistic and they view the world in black and white and, and things are right or wrong. And, and, and the things that you can't say and things you can say, and we get all of this woke political correctness as they become students and, and, and young adults. So it's very hard. Uh, but the younger the kid, the more fun you can have with them with lateral thinking. Lateral thinking puzzles go down really well. And they're great because kids are very open-minded and they'll ask a lot of questions. You know, a, a four-year-old child asks two or three hundred questions a day. And that's because they're prepared to listen and they're prepared to absorb. That's how they understand the world, by asking questions. As we get older, we stop asking questions because we think it looks childlike and we think it looks a bit foolish and naive. But we should constantly ask questions and very basic questions. What's the purpose of this? Why are we doing this? What's the value added here? What does this do for a customer? Do we really need to do this report? Do we and and, and ask the very basic questions, uh, and and that will challenge the basic assumptions. And challenging assumptions is a key part of lateral thinking. Well, very good, Paul. What's um? It sounds like you have a bunch of resources. So for listeners, if they're in a company, if they're on their own, if they're a small entrepreneur, a big company, how do they reach out to you for help? Well, my, my website is destinationinnovation.com, destination with a little hyphen and then innovation. I'm on LinkedIn, Paul Sloan. I'm on Twitter, at Paul Sloan. Um, I, you can find me on YouTube, Paul Sloan, with my TEDx. I've done two TEDx talks. And uh, I, my books are all on Amazon. So if you look on Amazon for Paul Sloan, you'll find me there. And um, I'm always happy to talk to people and to help. Very good, Paul. It's been really cool having you. I, I love having... Um creative thinkers like you on the podcast. So thank you for coming. I've enjoyed it, Richard. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.